Please open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. We will read verses 1 through 16, and our text is verses 8 through 16 of 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17 begins, begins the narrative on Elijah, the prophet of the Lord in the days of Ahab, when he ruled in Israel, and we know that Ahab's wife Jezebel had introduced Baal worship into the heart and soul of the life of God's people. So Elijah is a man very much called uh, to this hour to bring the word of the Lord. And yet we see some interesting things happening in his life before he actually begins his prophetic ministry in Israel. So let's begin to read at chapter 17 and verse 1, the word of God. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please give me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to gather, he called to her and said, Please give me a morsel of bread in your hand. <clears throat> so she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar, and see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. And then please, to, please turn to Luke chapter 4, at verse 16, where the Lord refers to these events in order to <clears throat> speak of his own ministry and the very difficult time he was going through in, in the region of Galilee. Luke chapter 4, reading at verse um, 16 to verse 30. <clears throat> So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed uh, the book of the prophet Isaiah, 
And when he had opened it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And he said, And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard you have done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And then he said, Surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you, truly many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust them out of the city. And they led him to the brow of a hill and wished they the brow of the hill of their city, which, on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. 1 Kings 17, verse 8 to 16 is our preaching text this morning. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, you perhaps have all heard the expression that things sometimes have to get a whole lot worse before they get better. The Israelites might have been thinking some, something along that line in these days, in those days when Elijah was coming to them as a prophet. So it can sometimes be in life. Life can at times be very difficult and there can be all kinds of surprises, things we did not expect at all. And yet even through such times we know God's providence is at work as well. And we need to be patient and still and know that He is God. Thankfully, we have a God who is long-suffering with us in our weaknesses and in our own sinfulness. The Hebrew writer tells us that whom the Lord loves, He also chastises. And having said that, we also confess with the Apostle Paul who says that in Christ all things are given to us. That's what we have going for us, brothers and sisters, through faith in Christ. And yet in the process of the Lord giving us all things in Christ through faith, He also expects our hearts. He expects our devotion and our gratitude to Him, the love of our hearts in, in return for His great salvation. He delights in the obedience of our faith uh, unto Him. Well, we all confess, don't we, don't we, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but we can never forget our covenant obligations to that faith that He has given to us. The faith that works itself out in love. The faith that works itself out in obedience to God. Well, that brings us to our theme this morning. The Lord's covenant blessings require the obedience of faith. 
Here in our, our, the narrative, we see God issuing a, a second strange commandment to Elijah. The first was to go to the brook Cherith, not stay with God's people and preach to them the gospel, but please leave and remove yourself from the scene and go to the brook Cherith. He's been there many days, and now the brook dries up. And now a second command, a strange one, comes to Elijah. He is to go now far away to Zarephath. We well ask the question, what is the Lord up to? What is he doing? Well, our first point, God sends Elijah to Zarephath by bypassing unfaithful Israel. The brook has dried up. Elijah is still there momentarily, perhaps a short while. There's still no rain at all. It's an indication, it seems, that Israel is still not getting at. They're still not repenting of their sin. But what is Elijah to do? We can imagine Elijah's own faith was being stretched as well. But one thing he has to do, and that is obey the word of the Lord. That at all times is our calling to obey the word of the Lord. Come what may. And that is what we see Elijah doing. Let us go to verse 8 of 1 Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and he went to, he went to uh, Zarephath. Now we might ask, did Elijah have to go to Zarephath just because the brook dried up? We would say, well, no, the Lord could have provided water for Elijah any place in the land of Israel, but God didn't send him to any of those places. Maybe God was seeking to give Elijah simply a more comfortable place to stay, some better accommodations than the brook Cherith. And we say the same answer to that. No, that's not the issue. The key here is, congregation, is what is God doing with his word? That's the key. And then, where is God therefore sending his prophet? He sent Elijah to Zarephath. And the purpose, he's basically bypassing all of Israel, going out of his way to go to a strange place when we would think, hey, you're God's prophet, you ought to be heading right back to God's people and calling them to faith and repentance. But instead to this remote, far-off place, Zarephath. Israel is still not looking to God for their, for their daily bread. They're still not looking to God for their salvation. They're still trusting in Baal, whom Queen Jezebel has imported into the land and into the church. God's people's hearts are still unfaithful for the most part. There's still no obedience of faith. That's the thing here. The obedience of their faith to God is still missing. And so God in judgment passes by his people. He passes by with his word of grace by sending Elijah to Zarephath. Now depending exactly where, where Elijah was in the brook Cherith, it was about a 125 kilometer hike up to uh, the, the town of Zarephath in Sidon. That's where Queen Jezebel had come from. In chapter 16 verse 31 we read that uh, Jezebel's father was Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians. Uh, Jezebel was a princess of a pagan king. 
And here she was, uh, she'd, she'd been grown up in this pagan nation, and that's where Elijah's called to go. In Sidon, Baal is worshipped as the supreme god. And if you would look at Israel's social, at uh, the social life and the re- religious life of the people there, it was grossly wicked and it was idolatrous through and through. Sending Elijah up to that region is somewhat akin to sending a prophet to Sodom and Gomorrah, pretty much. The nation of Sidon was really of the same character as Babylon or Egypt. It was a manifestation of the kingdom of darkness. It was the domain of Satan. The last place an Israelite would ever want to set foot is a place like Sidon. And guess what? That's where God sends his prophet to Sidon. And there he has commanded a pagan widow to provide for all his needs. It must have been a shock to Elijah's thinking. And yet he too must express the obedience of his faith as he hears the command of the Lord come to him as well. We read, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. She was looking for some fuel to make something with. Um, And he called to her and said, Please give me a little cup, a little water in a cup that I may drink. That is what he he says to her. Those who receive the covenant blessings of the Lord, God requires of them that obedience of faith. This is what Elijah was doing, though I'm sure he couldn't figure it out. But if we look at God's people at that time, they had no love for God in their hearts. The word of the Lord was not reigning in their hearts. In chapter 19, verse 18, we read that the remnant that was left in Israel that was faithful to God was 7,000, a very small minority. There would have been, I imagine, at least 2 to 3 million people in the land of Israel, only 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. The rest were disobedient to God's will and to the promises of His grace. You see, congregation, there was no welcome mat laid out at all for the prophets of the Lord in the land of Israel. There was no welcome mat in their hearts for the hearing and the receiving of the word of truth. There was really no need for God's grace. They thought they had it fine with Baal. He's okay. He'll supply all, our, all, our, all, our, all that we need. Let's just hang in there tough for a while because, yeah, soon enough, he's going to send the rain again upon the land. And if not, we'll just trust our own luck. And the gods of the nations, they will help us. That's how Israel basically was operating spiritually. Yes, they paid lip service to God. The calf gods and Dan and Bethel were still being used to bring this ill-conceived worship of God to, which he condemned. They were going through the motions, that's for sure. You see why God finally had to say to Elijah, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. I provided a widow to provide for you. It's interesting, congregation, that 900 years later, approximately, Jesus gives a perfect commentary on the days of Elijah. 
And it's very comparative to his own ministry and all the stuff that he's going through as well. We read in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, he's early on in his ministry. He was in Nazareth. He'd been preaching what Isaiah had prophesied about him. And he knew their hearts. And he concludes in verse 24, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. That was a scathing indictment in and of itself. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up in three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the days, in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he very keenly felt the rejection of his own people. Their unbelief was right in his face. John writes that he came to his own and his own received them not. He is describing the kind of reactions that Elijah would have experienced as well. Jesus knew that he was a prophet without honor in his own country. Well, so was Elijah. Jesus comments on Elijah's ministry, how bad it was, how hard it was. And it was indicative of his own ministry in Nazareth and Galilee and so forth. Well, the people of Elijah in his day would not have the privilege to care for him, nor would they hear his words of warning and of grace. Therefore, God sent Elijah to Zarephath. You see how God is calling the shots congregation? When the brook Cherith dried up, the way to Zarephath was opened up. We know that there would have been Lots and lots of widows among those 7,000 faithful in Israel who God could have sent Elijah to, but to none of them was he sent. God's command to Elijah was an indictment against the whole house of Israel for their apostasy. It was so overwhelming. Jesus' own words verify God's judgment then upon Israel. And Jesus' words, of course, were a judgment upon his own people in his own time. You know what, congregation? It was a miracle of God's grace that he did not send Jesus away from his own people and send him way elsewhere, but kept him there in the land of Israel so that he could fulfill his ministry even unto death on the cross for you. Thankfully, the Lord kept his son in the place where he was called to minister. He didn't send him away like Elijah. We see how again the blessings of the covenant require the obedience of faith, of real love for God, of real genuine commitment to his holy church. 
The Lord wants all of our hearts, not, not 75%. The Lord wants us to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and with all our strength and to love our neighbor as, as ourselves. That's why we read the commandments. The Lord wants our hearts. He requires our obedience and gratitude to him. Or as the Apostle Paul says to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom and teaching. Let it be your wisdom. Let it be the thing that teaches you. Be self-taught with the word of God. Let it shape your life. And as you admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, Paul says, even in our singing, we are to be teaching each other and to be shaping our lives by how we praise God and what we praise God with. The point is, let God's word be dwelling in your hearts richly. Let it be a demonstration of the fact that your whole heart is committed to God. Make these Ten Commandments shape your life and your children's life and walk in them that others may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Oh, congregation, it's a wonderful thing to have a Christ-centered family and to have a Christ-centered Christian school and to have a Christ-centered, a Christ-centered home, but it, at the heart of it has to be word-centered, word-directed, word-dictated. Word shaped, the commandment of the Lord shaping our hearts as we are giving ourselves to Him entirely because of His great love with which He first loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for all of our sins. Jesus said at one point in His ministry, Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you do not do the things that I say. The Lord's covenant blessings require the obedience of our faith. King Ahab had to obey the word of the Lord. And Queen Jezebel too. And all of Israel had to obey the word of the Lord. And Elijah had to obey the word of the Lord. And you and I have to obey the word of the Lord. And guess what? This poor widow in Zarephath too, she also had to obey the word of the Lord. We move on secondly to this very thing, how God chooses a pagan woman, a widow, to serve as his instrument and the object of his sovereign grace. We pick it up at verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please give me a little cup, little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please give me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now Elijah had hiked up a long, long ways, about 120 kilometers. We can imagine by now he was getting pretty hungry and desperate too. He, he needs water desperately. And yet he does not know at all who this woman is. How am I going to find her? How am I going to identify who she is? The Lord just simply to go and this woman would be there. Didn't know who she was. 
We see congregation, as we live by faith, God will work out all the itty-bitty little details in our life. You know, sometimes we say, you know what, things just all fell into place this week. But it is God in His providence who makes these things fall, makes these things happen at the right time, at the right place, so you've had a good week. Elijah was going to have a good week as he got up to Zarephath, and the Lord would make sure that this woman would show up. She would identify herself. She would be at his disposal. Elijah's steps simply had to be steps of faith all the way north to this pagan land. He was not told what he had to say to, what he had to, say to this widow. God would give him the words too. He simply says in verse 10, please give me a little water in a cup that I may drink and please give me a morsel of bread from your hand. Notice Elijah's words are kind. The King James Version says, I pray thee, give me bread. It's as if he was almost praying, pleading with her, please give me bread. And, and while you're at it, I need some water too. He treats this woman with kindness, not with any arrogance. This poor widow in, in this pagan land would have been the lowest of the low, a lowlight, a woman who had no clout, a woman who had nothing of her own, a widow you could so quickly take advantage of and not give her two cents worth of your time. But there's no condescension, there's no prejudice from Elijah. This is interesting to note, congregation, as we interact and also witness to unbelievers how we have to be very gracious in our communication and manifest something of Christ's love to them as we speak even to complete strangers who we know are far from God. Elijah treated her with great respect. Yes, he was desperate, but that's how it was. Aren't we all desperate without the Lord? Isn't any man without God a desperate person? And how then could we perhaps minister some, by some way a word of kindness? Elijah was the man on the spot as God's prophet here. But notice it's the word of the Lord that he brings. He's God's prophet. He's got to bring God's word. And that's the point. Now his command might sound rather audacious to ask this starving widow who has nothing herself, please give me water and while you're at it, bring me a morsel of bread. And yet it's God's gracious means by which his grace will be spoken uh, to this woman. And God will be promising her something far more than what she has right now. And isn't that the character of, of God's grace? Isn't that the beauty of God's grace? That He has come to give us far more than what we have and to give us something we could never obtain of ourselves. And He gives it simply through the speaking of His servants, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and of his salvation from sin and from all our misery and goodness for body and soul. And so she answers him. 
As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. See, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now this woman was not exaggerating. She was well nigh to death. She was collecting the very last bit of what she had to make one little piece of cake, eat with her son, and then starvation already set in so far she was soon going to die. And how it must have been a humbling thing for Elijah to accept a handout now from such a woman who, who had nothing herself. Such a pathetic figure, such a, a pagan woman. Such a poverty-stricken lady. She was no wife of a rich merchant with a pantry full of food. Elijah wasn't showing up to some five-star hotel. She had a handful of flour in a little jar. She had a little bit of oil in a little jar. And she and her son were starving. Lord, did you bring me to the right place? We might ask. But she is, a, she is to be a fit and a chosen instrument of God. Congregation, doesn't the Lord say that my power is made perfect in weakness? And isn't it God who uses the lowly things and the little things and the things that are not to bring to pass the things that are and the things that need to be? And yet she must give up here everything she has if she is to obey the word of God that Elijah commands her. And who's Elijah to her? He's a complete stranger. What is, what is uh, he to her or she to him? And yet it seems perhaps by his demeanor and his dress that she sees that he's an Israelite and, and that he's a prophet of God, that he should speak this way. For her words are truly remarkable. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. As the Lord your God lives, she says. Yes, that's what she says. It seems God already is beginning to have a small effect upon her heart, choosing to use her to be his instrument, but also as the object of his sovereign grace. Oh, by grace through faith have we been saved too, that we could be used of God. Is that part of your outlook on life? having been saved by God to be used of God in some way. This woman did not know what she was getting into, but she was to step to the plate and be ready to be used. God was to choose her. And so she must accept God's word in this life and death situa situation. And, and, and just see it, congregation. Elijah asks her for everything she's got all the food, all the water, she must give it so that when she gives it, there's nothing left for herself and for her dying son. She must give up everything to Elijah on account of the command of Elijah's God. It sounds like Jesus' words to the rich young ruler, sell all you have and come follow me. Isn't that the call of the gospel? Sell all you have and come and follow me. You might think I'm going to lose my shirt giving up everything to come follow you, but you command me to sell all and to come follow me. 
Would this widow give up all to provide for Elijah to, in effect, follow him and believe his God? To believe God's word that he was bringing when she's at the point of dying and starving herself? Does God's word then make sense if you're about to die? It's not going to do any more good in your life because your life is virtually at an end. Does it even make sense for her to obey Elijah? Is it even worth it? When you're about to die to receive God's word, well then, all the more you need it. Then you need it more than ever if you've never heard it before. And yet, how could God's command possibly change this dreadful situation this poor widow was in? I asked the question, is anything impossible with God? No, there's nothing. Here's the thing. She's dying but she must believe and obey the living God of Israel. For he's going to do what Baal and no other God could ever do. Baal has not provided rain inside neither. Baal was really a flop. Baal was a waste of time. He was nothing. And so are all the gods you might trust in as well. They're really nothing. They're a flop. They will not deliver when you are in desperate need. And so Elijah now seeks to encourage her in the beginnings of faith and the beginnings of obedience of that faith to the living God. Elijah now coaches her on. Verse 13, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. You know what? She must even first make a cake for Elijah. Never mind herself. God is seeing to his own servant first. Elijah must eat first. He would have been very hungry as well. You see how God calls her to be an instrument of a sovereign grace to keep his own prophet alive first. So the word of the Lord would not die out. The word bearer would yet live. And yet at the same time we see God's love to this starving pagan widow too. She is the object of his grace as well. And he's going to feed her too in ways that she could never imagine. Again, that smacks of God's grace, doesn't he? When he gives us things we cannot even imagine to, to have happened. But will she trust God's word as she hears it? Will she give up all when she is asked to believe in the living God of Israel at the point of her own death? Have you given up all to follow Christ? She might want to hang on to some of her supports in life. Maybe her religion she might turn to at the last moment. There's times we would hang on to our own uh, jars of oil and, 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 and bins of flour in her house and hold on to those things that we know have, have been our stay and helped us. This woman is called to give up all to follow Elijah, to obey his command. 
Oh, do we not know, congregation, that when we give up all to God, He will give us so much more in return. So, so, so much more in return. This poor woman gave up her handful of flour. She was to give up the little bit of oil left in her jar. And she was promised that God would supply her with both until the day that He would send rain again upon the land. You know, perhaps that poor widow got back 500 times more food than she now had to give up to Elijah. Maybe a thousand times more food. If this was one day's ration, maybe for the next, you know, 500 days, she would be supplying Elijah with food. If God's word is true, that is. If you can really believe those promises. And yet... There was something in her that caused her obedience to go forward. And she was going to gain something infinitely more than just flour and oil. But the beginnings of a relationship with the God of Israel, the beginnings of covenant love and grace and mercy that would lead to salvation from a God she had never heard of before, yet what no other God could ever give her to. She was in the state of beginning to gain an obedience to the faith herself by His grace, of course. Well, she did it. Let's go to verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. It was a miracle, wasn't it? By miracles, God also establishes the faith of his people, the faith of pagans. A miracle in which you need to sink your teeth, so to speak. A miracle in which you... Seek, to, seek to, 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 to put your faith in. And faith requires trusting God's word then, no matter what it says. That's what she did. And faith requires obedience to God's command, no matter what he commands. That's what she did. Talk about a risk. Yet, it was God's doing as the miracle was God's doing, and His choosing of her was God's doing. So His keeping her was His doing. And yet, a Lord, and yet, congregation, we see in the process here, God was bypassing His unfaithful children, the Israelites. And He was beginning to show a glimpse of His electing love that would reach far greater than the confines of Israel, that would include the Gentiles, that would include the most unlikely sorts of people, the people you might think, is the Lord, would the Lord want to save that person? I wouldn't touch that person with a 10-foot pole. Uh, A widow, a woman, a pagan, and she's starving? She was loved of God. 
to be like an emblem or a monument of his grace. How the Lord can do the impossible because of his love and his mercy. The widow became a God-fearing woman for she simply took God at his word. You simply take God at his word and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. She gave up her trust in Baal, her allegiances that she had depended upon, perhaps her culture, her family, her friends, her religion, her king. She acted in faith, believing she'd gain what she did not have. Blessings from this unfamiliar God of Israel, divine blessings that he alone gives. You see what God does? God asked her to literally give up all her life supports so that she could support his prophet in life and to support and receive his word. God asked her for everything. And so God also asks for your life, for all your heart. And you know what? When you have given him all that he asks of you, and he blesses you, know that what you have given him is what he has first given to you in the first place. And he calls us by his word to keep giving of our lives to him. And we know he will then give us infinitely more than what we could ever imagine. Amen.